Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Escambia County. It's a sliver of the Florida panhandle, perhaps best known for its year-round sunshine, pristine beaches, and centuries-old historical sites. So there are 67 counties in Florida. We're the last county in Florida before you cross the state line and you're in uh, the state of Alabama. We are uh, affectionately known as the Redneck Riviera, and we have the prettiest beaches in the world. But that's not all Escambia County is known for. We unfortunately have uh, witnessed our fair share of odd crimes throughout the years. We seem to find our way in the paper probably more than we would like. We've had, uh, you know, the Black Widow uh, murders were here. There was a lady that killed several of her husbands. And, uh, we had the Billings case where the, the family was murdered in the home and they had uh, eight special needs children. And it was here that the infamous serial killer Ted Bundy was captured. He didn't get away from us. We ended up prosecuting him and of course he was finally put to death. But but he's just one in that long string of, of people that uh, somehow have a tie to Escambia County. In the summer of 2015, yet another case out of Escambia County would grab national headlines. It's a case that became known as the Blue Moon Murders. This murder was front page news. There are some indications of what the motive is. The crime occurred just three days before a rare astrological occurrence known as a blue moon. But as investigators attempted to piece together this bizarre triple homicide, would the timing shortly before a blue moon prove to be a clue or a distraction? The media really latched onto the blue moon witchcraft murder. This week on Killer Cases. It's uh, witchcraft. I'll, I'll say that right now. That is just insanity. There are no, there is no such thing as human sacrifice in the religion of Wicca. Your folks, your family over there was killed. Killed? They said they were deceased and they never told me how they were killed. They're dead. Uh, and it looks like they were killed. Killed? Mm-hmm. Who knows, I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, obviously, uh, that that was a way for him to justify in his own mind, uh, you know, as to what he was doing. The fact that his DNA is on that checkbook doesn't mean that he's a killer. Evil. Just pure evil. For the Law and Crime Network and Vault Studios, I'm Brian Ross. This is Killer Cases, the podcast. Investigators made the discovery on July 31st, 2015. Three members of one family dead in their modest home in Escambia County near Pensacola. A chilling scene, as recalled by Prosecutor Bridget Jensen and Escambia County Sheriff David Morgan. The way in which each of the victims were killed was, um, was very brutal. It was kind of a macabre scene. It was so out of the ordinary. The house was kind of in disarray. They noticed that there were piles of blankets and clothing. Once they kind of lifted the outer edges of those piles of blankets and clothing, um, in the den area, they observed you know, a foot 
and they also observed um, a hand, a female hand, in uh, underneath one of the piles. Hidden under the piles of clothes were the bodies of a 77-year-old woman, Von Seal Smith, and her two adult sons, 47-year-old Richard Smith and 49-year-old John Smith. Well, whoever had done this had taken time, obviously, to cover the bodies up. Matt Infiker, at the time of the Scambia County homicide detective, led the investigation. The position of John sitting on the couch, whoever did it walked right up to him, hit him in the head with a hammer, and then was able to cut his throat. He didn't even try and defend himself. So he was either asleep or knew the individual. The mom was killed in the same manner. She was killed in her chair in the living room where she always stayed and watched TV. She was hit in the head as well with a hammer and her throat was also cut. Richard was shot, uh, had a wound to his head and his throat was also cut. Investigators soon learned more details about each of the victims, starting with Von Seal, the mother. She was a woman who apparently never left the house. Defense attorney Michael Griffith. She ordered from QVC. She'd get five and six packages a day from QVC. The home was just stuffed with boxes and dresses and all sorts of things that she bought from QVC. According to the sheriff's office, the younger son, John, worked at a local Walmart, and his older brother, Richard, worked at the Pensacola Naval Air Station. Adding to the mystery surrounding the case, he worked for a particularly secretive Homeland Security Division. Richard worked uh, in the crypto department. Uh, you know, some of this we really aren't, aren't at liberty to talk about, some of the elements of the case. Uh, but he worked in the, the, the crypto room, which is all the codes that they teach the, the Navy folks. And, of course, when uh, you have those high clearances uh, and you don't show up for work, a lot of people get very concerned. So certainly one of the things that, that investigators looked into was whether Richard Smith's job had anything to do with his murder as well as the murder of his family members. Defense attorney Michael Griffith would later take note of some peculiar details related to the discovery of Richard's body. When Richard Smith's body was discovered, his car keys were missing and there was DNA in one of his front pants pockets that was not identified, which is a pretty strange thing to have happen. Because of Richard's occupation, a full federal investigation was launched to see if maybe some foreign assassin was somehow connected to what happened to the family. There was two DHS investigators that worked with me on the case, and we were able to determine that there was nothing that Richard was working on that would lend to this type of thing happening to him. Something else was to blame for these brutal murders. But what? What could have possibly spurred someone to carry out such a brutal crime? Investigators soon came up with a rather surprising theory, one Sheriff David Morgan would announce to the public at a press conference a handful of days after the bodies were discovered. Initial research has led us to believe that there is a potential that it was a ritualistic killing. Sheriff's investigators had connected the killings to the appearance of a rare blue moon on July 31st, the day the bodies were discovered. But there's a potentially important discrepancy in the timeline the sheriff is laying out at the press conference. While the bodies were discovered on the same day as the blue moon, Sheriff Morgan says his office believes the murders occurred on Tuesday, July 28th, three days before the blue moon. You know, the time of death, we believe, on Tuesday also coincides 
uh, with what's referred to as a blue moon. It's a discrepancy that goes unaddressed, at least for the moment, as Sheriff Morgan goes on to reveal that his team has identified a person of interest. While the sheriff does not reveal that person's identity, he does say this person's ties to a faith or religion led his team to believe this was a ritualistic killing. Later, asked what faith or religion he was talking about, the sheriff adds, It's uh, witchcraft. I'll, I'll say that right now. What the public would later learn is that this person of interest was a man who lived nearby, who would later claim to be a follower of Wicca, a modern pagan religion that involves witchcraft and magic. And in his home, he had the, you know, the altar set up with the dead flowers and the, and the dagger and the, uh, you know, he had a pentagram on the floor. Often misunderstood or mischaracterized, the Wiccan religion does not involve any form of human sacrifice or ritualistic killing. Why exactly the sheriff made that connection early on in this investigation is unclear and would ultimately prove to be a distraction from the true motive in this case. And it's a distraction that soon caught the attention of media outlets throughout the country. The three could have been murdered in a witchcraft ritual, based on the timing of the blue moon and the positioning of the victims' bodies. But while witchcraft carried the headlines, lead investigator Matt Infiger was tasked with figuring out what the true motive might be. I knew that this wasn't a random homicide because there was no forced entry to the home. So it was like whoever did this came over there for a specific reason, committed these murders, and then tried to conceal it. The way we found out, it was on the news. The Smith family's out-of-town relatives were horrified as they learned the details of what happened inside the Smiths' unassuming Pensacola home. I try not to think of what they went through that day, you know, because when I do, I break down. Faye Haas was Richard and John's cousin, and she called Von Seal Aunt Bonnie. When I think of what they went through, that's the, that's, that's the hard thing. It's, they suffered. They suffered big time. When she heard about what happened, how her relatives were killed, Haas had a hard time comprehending it. She could not imagine who would want to kill any of them. She remembers her cousin John as kind, happy. That was the hardest, I think, to take because he was so sweet. He was just, and always smiling. Haas says her Aunt Bonnie only became a shut-in after her husband died and her health failed. My aunt was a good woman, and she was a very good mother. They traveled a lot. I had plenty of pictures of they traveled and a lot. They were very outgoing before. So they were very active until the illness. And the eldest son, Richard, took care of both his mother and brother. A lot of people say, why was he 49 and living at home? Because he was taking care of his mother, and he knew he was going to have to take care of John all his life. But one of the biggest questions on her mind was why Aunt Bonnie's third son, Donald Wayne Hartung, who also lived in Pensacola, had not called. And I said, Wayne hasn't called us. Why hasn't he called us or tried to get in touch with any of us over here? Perhaps that was because Donald Wayne Hartung was at the police station, sitting across from lead investigator Matt Inficker. Let me start by getting your name and information. What's your first name? Donald. He was the unnamed person of interest. The first interview I did with Donald, I was trying to just get a 
overall picture of the family and what was going on, the family dynamics. During the interview, Hartung, a 59-year-old security guard at a local hospital, insisted to Detective Inviger that he had a good relationship with his mother and his two stepbrothers, John and Richard Smith. Do you have good relationships with them? Or? Yeah, we have great relationships. Hartung says he kept in touch with them and had last been at the house three days before their bodies were discovered when he went there to cook dinner, something he did every Tuesday. Importantly, as this interview is taking place, Hartung has not yet been told how his family died. Your folks, your family over there was killed? Killed? They said they were deceased and they never told me how they were killed. They're dead and it looks like they were killed. Killed? Mm-hmm. Prosecutor Bridget Jensen would later view the interrogation tapes and take note of Hartung's tone as he learns his family members had been killed. This was a man who supposedly had just found out that his mother and his two brothers had been murdered. And the fact that he was very kind of nonchalant, he was not emotional whatsoever, he did not cry, he did not seem surprised, he, he really didn't seem concerned. Uh, how were they killed? It looked like they were shot. Shot? Mm-hmm. How was that? Well, it looked like they were shot. It's hard to tell because there was a lot of clothes on top of them. Clothes on top of them? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. think so. It just looks like somebody just came in and shot him. Yeah, looks like somebody knew him, whoever did it. Well, I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody that they, that they know. No. Could have been anybody. Because Hartung is the last person known to have seen his family alive, Detective Inviger has to ask about that Tuesday night dinner. So something didn't happen when you were over there Tuesday night and you killed him? No. Nothing happened. Are you sure? Yes. Because if something happened, now's the time to tell me. I would not kill my mother and my brothers. Okay. I mean, why would I do something like that? I don't know. I don't know you. Well, that's, I understand that. I know that's true. But I wouldn't do something like that. I'd never harm my family. He was also um, asked if they could search his home, which again was approximately three miles away from where the Smith family lived. Um, he did consent to a search of his home. He did seem cooperative. It's at that point, during that search, that investigators started to learn about Donald Hartung's religious beliefs. And in his home, he had the you know the altar set up with the dead flowers and the and the dagger and the uh, you know he had a pentagram on the floor. But none of this came as a surprise to Hartung's family members, who say Hartung's mother, a Christian, was always upset by his beliefs. And she did not agree with her son doing the Wiccan, and she knew he was doing the Wiccan. It's witchcraft to her. It's devil worship. It's, that's the way my aunt thought about it. And she didn't want her other two sons around him. 
She was very against it. That characterization didn't square with what Hartung told Detective Infiger about his relationship with his mother. She's all I got. She was the one that was always there for you. That's right. She's always there for me. Hmm. She was always there for me. There ain't nothing in this world I could ask my mother for that she wouldn't give me. Really? That's right. Nothing. But when I spoke with neighbors, uh, other people that knew the victims of the family, it was different than what uh, Donald had told me. The relationships weren't as close as Donald had portrayed the relationships to be. They were more distant. There wasn't a lot of communication within the family. Donald only came over on Tuesdays uh, to cook, and that was about it. Well after midnight on the day the bodies were discovered, at about 1.30 in the morning, Donald Hartong was brought back to the sheriff's office. When something like this happens, you are working 24-7 till you hit a dead end. The way Detective Infiger saw it, all leads pointed to Hartung as the killer, and he was not shy about his suspicions. And killed your mom? I did not kill my mother. And then killed your brother? I would never kill my mom or my brother. Either one of my brothers. I mean, I mean do I look like some kind of a blooming maniac to you people? I mean, you do me. Throughout the first 24 hours of this investigation, the working theory among investigators was that Donald Hartung killed his family as part of a ritualistic sacrifice, timed with the appearance of a rare blue moon. That was the theory. I don't know anything about Wiccan sacrifices. I don't know a thing about anything like that. And Detective Matt Infiger pounded away on that theory during his post-midnight interrogation of Hartung who claimed to be a follower of the Wiccan religion. Who knows that you're Wiccan? Nobody. I'm a solitary practitioner. Nobody knows that I'm a Wiccan. If you know about the blue moon and all that kind of stuff, you do. Well, I know about the blue moon. I know it's two uh, full moons, but, I mean, it's been all over the radio. Like I was explaining to you about the Wiccan ritual, they put cover them to keep them warm after they kill them. I don't know nothing about no ritual like that. I mean, what kind of, I mean, who does that? A crazy person does that. Only later would Detective Infiker learn that this notion of a blue moon ritual sacrifice was completely at odds with the actual Wiccan faith. That is just insanity. There are no, there is no such thing as human sacrifice in the religion of Wicca. None. Zero. Zilch. Susie Smith calls herself a high priestess of the Wiccan religion, and she's proud to be known as a witch. I am a witch. I am a witch, and I am Wiccan. As a high priestess of the community, I have the right to say, yes, you are Wiccan, no, you're not. I want them to know that this man has nothing to do with our community. Smith was so upset about the sheriff's press conference that she sent him a video of her own, demanding he retract his statements. And for Sheriff Morgan to attach the Wiccan religion to 
this murder was presumptuous and he should have checked his facts before he made such accusatory statements. But this was well after the sheriff's blue moon theory spread to media outlets around the country and around the world. It's uh, witchcraft. I'll, I'll say that right now. Defense attorney Michael Griffith, who would later represent Donald Hartung, points to that press conference as a sign that investigators were playing loose with the facts of the case from the start. It had no basis in fact, and it was just baffling that the sheriff went off on that tangent. You have to look at the sheriff's theory uh, in the perspective of the day he made his announcement that Donald was a suspect and that there was, it was a Wiccan witchcraft type murder was also when he had his first fundraiser for his reelection campaign. The sheriff made lots of headlines, got a lot of publicity, and effectively helped his campaign considerably. But when it came to solving these homicides, the blue moon theory proved to be a rabbit hole that did nothing to further the investigation. I got calls from all over the United States about it, and it was, I was having to deal with trying to investigate a murder and deal with all this Wicca stuff. After questioning Donald Hartung over and over about Wicca, Detective Inviger was getting nowhere. Nobody has seen these people since Tuesday, since you saw them. I was the last one to see him alive. Yeah. So how are you going to sit there and tell us that you didn't kill them when you were the last one to see them? They trusted you, and you killed them. They didn't think anything of it. They didn't know it was coming. I love my parents. I'm sure you did. I but love you my killed mom them. and my brothers, and I did not kill them. I did not kill them. I would never harm my mother, never hurt my brothers, never. I never thought Donald was going to confess to the murder when I was interviewing him. He was a little, I'm not going to say arrogant, but he had a confidence about himself that he, he thought he could outsmart us. With no confession and no physical evidence to implicate him, Donald Hartung was allowed to go home after this interrogation and allowed to attend the Smith's funeral service where relatives kept a close eye on him. He never cried a tear. He never shed a tear at the funeral. Never at the graveside. He scared us because we had went by his house one time and he was standing there. We were sitting at the table and he reached up on top of his refrigerator. He was standing there. He said, well, if I'm a murderer and they're so smart, why didn't they find this? and he slammed a machete on the table where we were sitting. But the investigation was not over. Detectives were now starting to focus on forensics, any fingerprints or DNA found at the scene. But forensic analysis presented a real challenge in this case, according to prosecutor Bridget Jensen. It's difficult to make a case when there is a family member involved simply because we knew that Donald Hartung went to the family home on every Tuesday to cook dinner. So the fact that his DNA is going to be there is, you know, a given. But what happened in this case is that his DNA turned up on places where it absolutely should not have been. For example, on the zipper of his brother Richard's notebook case and on Richard's checkbook. And now 
That interrogation conducted by Detective Infiger was about to pay off, as Hartung had been asked if he ever touched any of Richard's or R.T.'s belongings. Well, I mean, if it's in the house, I didn't touch it. Okay. Or no matter where it was, I didn't touch it. I mean, it, it, I don't mess with nothing of R.T.'s. That definitely jumped out to us, and we had Donald Hartung's DNA on the inside of Richard's belt. And obviously that was a place that his DNA should not have been because he told law enforcement that he had not seen Richard in uh, either two to three weeks. So you said you'd never touched anything of RT's before? Not that, not Tuesday. RT wasn't there. Perhaps even more significant was what investigators discovered in the trash can on top of some bloody towels. And then on top of that was a cigarette butt that had Donald Hartung's DNA. So whoever put that cigarette butt in the trash can or smoked that cigarette butt and placed it on top of the um, items of cleanup um, was certainly in the home, at least at the time of the homicides and the time of the cleanups. That, that kind of sealed the deal in my mind that Donald was the one who did this. In late October of 2015, after three months, investigators arrested Donald Hartung in connection with the deaths of his family members. An arrest has been made in a three-month-old triple murder in Pensacola. Police say 58-year-old Donald Hartung Jr. murdered his mother and two half-brothers using a claw hammer. For some of the Smith's other relatives, this news came as a relief. They'd been waiting months for this day to come. And I just broke down and started crying and I said, thank you, Lord, thank you, thank you. It was the hardest three months I've ever lived waiting on him to get arrested. But it would take another four years before Hartung's case would go to trial. And in that time, Hartung's lawyer, Michael Griffith, would uncover evidence of serious flaws in the investigation. Flaws that Griffith was prepared to fully exploit in his courtly Southern way. You certainly have to be aggressive, but you don't have to be a rude horse's ass. This isn't a Jerry Springer show. Jury selection's begun in a triple murder case linked to witchcraft. The triple murder made headlines when police believed it was a ritualistic set of killings tied to witchcraft and the appearance of a rarely seen blue moon. versus Donald Wayne Hartung, defendant. Despite persistent talk in the media about the so-called blue moon ritual murders, as the trial against Donald Hartung begins in January of 2020, the prosecution would not make any mention of religion or rituals in its opening statement. Prosecutor Trey Meyer says the evidence simply did not back up that theory. When we got the case at the state attorney's office, uh, we didn't believe the evidence showed that this was related to uh, Wiccan or sacrifice. Defense attorney Michael Griffith had prepared for that to be the case as well. I knew they weren't going down that rabbit hole. They were too good of lawyers to go down that rabbit hole. But lead prosecutor Bridget Jensen knows she still has to provide the jury with an alternative motive in her opening statements, an explanation for why Donald Hartung would kill three of his own family members. There will be no question that this defendant is the person who murdered his family. And here is why. Last will and testament of Von Sill Smith, he was excluded. So to be included, all three of them had to die. 
The defense then gives the jury a first glimpse at its own argument. Members of the jury, I heard Ms. Jensen's opening statement and it was masterful, but it leaves out many of the facts or the lack of facts that you are going to hear. Defense lawyer Michael Griffith is prepared to point out some significant holes in the state's case. The biggest problem is juries want to believe the police are right. They want to believe the prosecutors all wear white hats and they wouldn't prosecute a case against an innocent person. There is no indication of any physical evidence that he committed any of the murders. There was no gun found. There was no blood found at his house. There was nothing to link him in any way to these murders besides his DNA at his mom's house where he went at least every Tuesday to cook dinner for them. Now, as far as the will is concerned, what the will says that Donald Hartung Jr. is excluded. My client is Donald Hartung Sr. Is that an error in drafting the will, or was it meant to exclude Mr. Hartung's son, Donald Hartung Jr.? After prosecutors began to call witnesses, it becomes clear that the four years Donald Hartung awaited trial in the Escambia County Jail gave prosecutors a crucial advantage. Will you state your full name, please? Martin Devon Purifor. On day four of the trial, a jailhouse informant who had been housed with Hartung is called to testify. Mr. Purifoy um, had information that he could not have gotten without having conversations with Mr. Hartung. Now, did there come a time when Mr. Hartung talked about uh, the murder of his family? Yeah, he told me. Okay. And did he tell you who killed his mother and two brothers? He said he killed them. Did he tell you why? He said he want, he, he want the money because she left him out the wheel. Now, did he tell you if um, the murders were, was it just something that kind of happened or was it something he'd been thinking about? Well, he said he'd been playing it last, last three, like three to four years. And then Purifoy testifies about what he says Hartung claimed to have done to his mother, Von Seal. He went to his mother, then he, he tortured her so she could tell the uh, combination for the safes and stuff. He said he tortured her, I'm sorry? He tortured her. How? He cut a left pinky finger so he can tell the combination for the safes and stuff. Investigators had found the safe at the home was successfully opened, and one of Von Seal Smith's pinky fingers had been cut off. Purifoy's testimony seems to offer an explanation for both details. I knew that the pinky finger uh, was cut. I didn't know how it happened or why. And then when Purifoy stated that Donald had done that torture in his mother, it made sense. On cross-examination, Purifoy holds his own, questioned by Griffith's co-counsel, Sharon Wilson. Mr. Purifoy, you've been convicted of felony, as you said, six or seven times? Yes, ma'am. And a conviction for a crime of dishonesty? Yes, ma'am. Juries still tend to put credibility in what these jailhouse snitches say, and I think the reason is juries don't understand that these convicts are con men. He was, he was about the money because he always liked to brag. Like he's going to go to Miami and stuff, hang out with some girls and stuff. And you testified earlier that, that Mr. Hartung was angry because his mother had written Mr. Hartung's son out of the will. No, written both of them out of the will, him and his son. 
Throughout the trial, according to family members, Hartung seems unfazed by the evidence against him. Several times he would turn around and look at us. Several times he would turn around and smile, like a smirk, like I'm, I'm going to get out of this. After the prosecution finishes calling witnesses, the defense focuses its energy on the handling of the crime scene by investigators at the Smith House. I think it was a very sloppy investigation for a murder case. They bring out the lead crime scene technician, Christine Rollins, the person who collected the DNA. As this trial is taking place, Rollins is facing prosecution for stealing drugs from the evidence room. So with the 24 felony counts you were charged with, you were facing potentially 170 years in prison, is that right? Yes, ma'am. It turns out the state's medical examiner had also been in some hot water and resigned following allegations she had misused state money. We've got a medical examiner playing funny with money. She quits her job because of it. We've got a crime scene tech who stole drugs from the evidence room and got in trouble herself. The jury has to believe these people. Who do you believe? No, no one. I believe no one. All of this leads the defense to challenge the time of death, the day when the prosecution says the victims had been killed. Again, the bodies were discovered on a Friday, July 31st. But the investigators concluded the murders had taken place three days earlier on Tuesday, the 28th, the day Hartung was seen by a neighbor arriving at the home and leaving later than usual. Early afternoon, I saw Mr. Hartung arrive, and then uh, later on, I saw R.T. come home, and then I saw Mr. Hartung leave. Now, was it um, normal or abnormal to see R.T. come home while Hartung was still at the house? It was not usual. Usually, Mr. Hartung was gone before R.T. came home. And the body of R.T., Richard Smith, was found in the same clothes he had been seen wearing in a surveillance photo when he left work that Tuesday. Adding to the evidence, he was killed that Tuesday night. I'm Dr. Jonathan Arden. On day six of the trial, a medical expert for the defense calls this timeline into serious question, saying the victims could not have been killed on Tuesday the 28th, as the prosecutors maintained. Based on their body heat and level of rigor mortis when they were discovered, the doctor says they were killed no sooner than Wednesday the 29th. Uh, late on the 29th? Yes. Okay. Now, this is scientific, correct? It, yes, it is based on science. There's no way that those people were murdered any time earlier than Wednesday. So all of the scientific evidence was with the defense. It couldn't have been Donald, so that's why the time of death was so important in this case. Even the prosecutors would later acknowledge that Dr. Arden's testimony posed a serious challenge to their case. He's amazing, he's intelligent, he's been doing this for a long time. Um, and when you look at the scientific factors, it certainly looked like the murders were committed after Tuesday. If the jury accepts that the murders were committed after Donald Hartung left the house, that could leave them with reasonable doubt about his guilt. All right, members of the jury, both the state and defense have now rested their case. 
The attorneys now will present their final arguments. On day seven of the trial, both sides would have one last chance to make their cases to the jury. Ladies and gentlemen, the difficult part of the case is that it was, you know, 98% circumstantial. Jurors want forensics. They want eyewitnesses. We didn't have any of that. Aside from that surveillance film of Richard Smith at work on that Tuesday evening. He is wearing the exact same thing when his body is found on Friday the 31st. What does that tell you? He was murdered right when he got home from work. In the end, the prosecution's strongest evidence is the discovery of Hartung's DNA on his brother's checkbook, his belt, and those telltale cigarette butts, including the one in the trash. Why so much focus on the cigarette butt in the trash? Because it's bad for them. It is beyond a reasonable doubt bad for them. And the whole point is this, it shouldn't be there. It is smack dab in the middle of cleanup, of cooking and murder. Then it's time for the defense to address the jury one last time. May it please the court, members of the prosecution, members of the jury. You need to know your juries. You can't come across as some hotshot TV lawyer. Defense attorney Michael Griffith does not hesitate to call into question the tactics used against his client in those two interrogations by Detective Matt Infinger. He was brutal to Mr. Hartung, trying to break him down after learning that his family had been murdered. Well, I promise you this, I'm going to find out. I know and you if will, you sir. did it, I'm going to find out and I'm going to put your ass in jail. I was explaining to you about the Wiccan ritual. They put cover them to keep them warm after they kill them. I don't know nothing about no ritual like that. Griffith questions why the prosecution even played the clip showing Hartung being questioned about the later debunked Blue Moon theory. The state wasn't relying on this Wiccan killing theory. Why did they show it to you? Why'd they introduce it? They didn't have to introduce it. I suggest to you they put it in to try to offend you, get you upset. I'm going to object. There's Approach. absolutely no evidence of that. Approach. Counsel. Members of the jury, you're to disregard any prior reference to the state's motivation. And then he addresses the biggest hurdle for the defense, that DNA evidence. Could Richard have left his checkbook at home on the dining table and Donald moved it one day and gotten his DNA all over it? Sure he could have. The fact that his DNA is on that checkbook doesn't mean that he's a killer. As the jurors leave to begin their deliberations, some of them give Hartung a close look. And according to his relative, Faye Haas, he gives them a look right back. And he was smiling at them. He's creeping the jury out. They were scared. The women were looking at him like, what is wrong with him? You know, why is he smiling at us? The jury is out for four hours before returning with a decision. All right, members of the jury, it's my understanding you've reached a verdict. Have you reached a verdict? In the circuit court in and for Salmon County, Florida, state of Florida plaintiff versus Donald Wayne Hartung, defendant. We, the jury, find the defendant, Donald Hartung, guilty of first-degree murder as charged in the indictment. When they said guilty, I was just crying, just holding my head down. Finally, it took four and a half years to get here. So long. After the verdict is read, all the emotion Donald Hartung had expressed throughout the trial seems to leave his face. Very disappointed, stoic as he is, but very, very disappointed. Hartung is back in court a few days later for sentencing, when the state moves to impose the death penalty 
in a hearing that would provide no shortage of surprises. It starts with Hartung jumping up to speak. Your Honor, I would like to respectfully ask for a mistrial. Hartung then turns on his own lawyers in an hour-long rant, saying his lawyers were incompetent and one had disrespected him when he asked her a question. Mrs. Wilson replied, after I asked her opinion, she said, you're a stupid asshole. I said, what? What did you say? And Mrs. Wilson said, I said, you're a stupid asshole. He even says he wants his lawyers fired. I'm a $10 hour security guard, Your Honor. I couldn't possibly be expected to go up against four seasoned attorneys. I was duped and I was tricked, and I'm willing to admit it. And so are you. But Judge Thomas Danheiser rejects Hartung's argument. And so now the jury is asked to decide whether Donald Hartung should be put to death. And then the second surprise of the day, as the foreperson of the jury is asked, has the state proved Donald Hartung should be put to death for each victim? As to count one, Fonz Hill Smith, no. As to count two, John Smith, no. As to the count three, Richard Smith, no. It's a major victory for the defense. Prosecutor Bridget Jensen has no way to know for sure, but she speculates that Hartung's aged, unhealthy appearance may have swayed some of the jurors. So maybe some of them would have thought that maybe it was just a lost cause, that, you know, he's probably going to die in prison, you know, in a short amount of time. And, and so what use is the death penalty at that point? The same lawyers Hartung wanted fired had kept him off death row. You don't know what juries say, what they think. We may have raised enough issues on the scientific evidence that the jury, although they found him guilty, had enough doubt that they weren't going to execute him. But members of Hartung's family in the courtroom say they could tell he was hardly celebrating. He's miserable. He deserves to be miserable. When it first happened, I hated him. I wanted him to suffer. I had to work through forgiveness to forgive him. And I do forgive him, but I will never forget what he did. Evil. Just pure evil. Killer Cases, the podcast, is a production of the Law and Crime Network and Vault Studios. You can watch Killer Cases on the A&E Network and the True Crime Network. Refer to your local programming guide for full details. Brian Weiss, John Ford, and Will Johnson are executive producers with Vault Studios. Reed Redman and Will Johnson produced and edited the podcast. Killer Cases, the television series, is written and presented by me, Brian Ross, and produced and directed by Rhonda Schwartz. Executive producers are myself, Brian Ross, and Rhonda Schwartz with Ellsworth Productions, and Rachel Stockman and Dan Abrams with Law and Crime Productions. Also thanks to producers Sam Kelly and Jennifer Tinter, and editors Danny Hilton and Nick Teodori. Killer Cases is produced in partnership with Cineflex Rights and True Crime Network.